Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. Second Samuel chapter 18, verse 14. Joab said, I'm not going to wait like this for you. So he took three javelins in his hands and plunged them into Absalom's heart. This is a man's message right here. While Absalom was still alive in the oak tree, and then 10 of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him and killed him. And Joab sounded the trumpet and the troops stopped pursuing Israel for Joab halted them. They took Absalom, threw him in a big pit in the forest, piled up a huge heap of rocks over him. Meanwhile, all the Israelites fled to their homes. During his lifetime, this was before the event we just read, Absalom had taken a pillar and he built this massive monument in the king's valley. This was a monument to himself. For he thought, I don't have a son to carry on my name and my memory. So he named this pillar, this monument after himself and called it Absalom's monument. And it's called that to this day. Um, I wanna talk to you about that idea, Absalom's monument. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his word. We thank you that you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation according to Ephesians chapter one, that we might know you better which means, God, we don't catch things just through information. God, we catch things through revelation. So, Father, we ask that you illuminate your word today, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened so that we may know the hope of our calling, which you have called us in Jesus' name. We all said amen. You know, Absalom is famous for being one of David's sons. He is primarily known if you know anything about Absalom, if not, I'll give you some background on him. But he's primarily known to be the symbol of an ultimate traitor. In the New Testament, you would have Judas that represents that. In the Old Testament, Absalom would be the notorious turncoat of his day. The Bible that, verse that we read says that what Absalom desired, what he wanted was to be remembered. He wanted his life to count. He wanted his life to mean something. He wanted to have a great name. He wanted his name to live. He wanted to have an enduring legacy. And so what he does is he goes out and he builds this monument and he places his name on it. We can recognize that there's monuments like this all over the world. We could go to DC and find the Lincoln Memorial or the Jefferson Memorial. We could go to Arlington National Cemetery and find JFK's memorial or William Howard Taft's memorial. There you would find the memorial to the astronauts who were aboard the space shuttle Challenger. You would find the memorial to the unknown soldier made out of 124 tons of marble. You could go to Saratoga, New York and find a massive 155 foot tall monument that was built to America's last stand against the British. On this monument, there would be three massive bronze sculptures, these mighty generals who were on horseback. You would come beneath these 
massive statues dedicated to these generals and you could read their names and read the battles they fought and the accomplishments and go to each one of those three and then you would come around and the monument was built for there to be a fourth general, a fourth statue there in that spot. It's strangely vacant. There's nothing there. It was built for there to be something there. It was designed for there to be something there, but yet it remains vacant. And your eyes go to the bottom of the monument and there the name is of that vacant general and it says Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold was a, a incredible soldier. He was a great leader for most of his career in life. He led West Point. He was a distinguished general in every battle that he fought until in the end, he ends up turning his back on his brothers, his country and commits treason. He ends up living in London, England where he dies in a small apartment alone with no friends and no family. Transitions in our life that happen, that events hit us and we end up going one way, the opposite way maybe of what we thought or dreamed we would go. These famous monuments that we read about are built so we can remember the people that have marked our world. We can recall what they've done, who they were, what their life was about. And that's what Absalom was out to do. He goes to the King's Valley and he finds a plot of land and he builds this massive monument. He carves the pillars and he puts his name over the monument, Absalom's monument. This was to be his final resting place. This was to be the spot that future generations could come and consider how Absalom influenced our world. This was a place where people could come and ponder the greatness of Absalom. His heart was that they could come and reflect on are they living up to their full potential in mind of what Absalom fulfilled in his life. He wanted to be famous while he lived and he wanted to be a legend when he died. This makes complete sense to me. I think it's a completely normal thing to want your life to count, to say, I want to have a great name. I want to be remembered. I, I, I'm curious, what will I leave behind? What will people say after I'm gone? It's a completely normal thing to desire to have a noteworthy or noble legacy. But Absalom never made it to this monument. He built it for himself. It's there in the King's Valley to this day, but he actually never made it to this spot that he desired to be in his life. Instead, his life, his death, his legacy were all different than what he had imagined. Most of us can relate. We know people all around our world that don't live up to their calling. They fall short of their potential. Like Absalom, they begin with noble dreams. They begin with the desire to have a life that's honorable. They have words that they use and promises that they make to create monuments to their greatness. But yet their day-to-day -day life at some point takes a turn. Their actions don't match what they said their dreams were. I know I can relate to this personally. There have been times in my life I look around and I say to myself, I never thought I would be here. I never thought I would be in this situation. I never thought I would be in this particular place. Many times it's been because of my own failures, my own shortcomings, my own mistakes, a trial, a struggle, a loss, things that I did or things that someone else did to me 
things that I wished would have never happened, and they happen. And if you're not careful and you don't know how to handle them, they'll cause you to end up turning in a direction that's the opposite of the dream that God placed in your heart. And this is what happened to Absalom. We remember him as this turncoat, this traitor. We think of Absalom as insecure, jealous, power hungry, arrogant, rebellious. This is the image of an ungrateful son when we think about it. And when we do that, it's easy to dismiss that Absalom might be in each of us. If we just exaggerate him, sensationalize him, then we don't have to deal that Absalom might be in each one of us as well. You see, Absalom started off being greatly loved by his father, David. Of all the sons, even more so than Solomon, Absalom was loved by David. Absalom was highly respected by all of the men that were closest to David. The entire country loved Absalom. As a matter of fact, the Bible would say because of their respect for Absalom, he would be able to steal their hearts later on in his life. He was the most good-looking man in all of Israel. The Bible says that there was no blemish in Absalom, that there was, he was absolutely perfect. He was respected by his siblings as a protective older brother. Absalom was loved by everybody. He was loved by David, loved by David's men, loved by his siblings. There's no sign in Absalom's early life of insecurity. There's no sign of jealousy. There's no sign of rebellion or pride. Absalom is solid through and through. Every which way you look at Absalom and this is a solid, solid man. But Absalom had a sister by the name of Tamar, who as handsome and good looking as he was, Tamar was beautiful. The whole country, every man in Israel desired Tamar. Tamar was said to not only be beautiful, but she was, to be a, she was a woman of integrity and purity. People loved Tamar. Tamar was vivacious. She was full of life. Everywhere she went, she would light up the room. And Tamar caught the attention of one of her half-brothers, Amnon. And Amnon created a situation. He ends up overpowering Tamar and he rapes her. After this event, Tamar finds herself broken, depressed, devastated. And Absalom notices that something's off with his sister. He can tell she's not acting the way that she normally acted. She, he can look in her eyes and see the pain. And as he begins to dig, he finds out what's happened to his sister, that Amnon has raped her and destroyed all that, not just that moment, but her whole life would be destroyed after this. She could never marry because of this event. She would never have children. She was in line to marry a distinguished person that was leading a nearby country. She was, had her whole future laid out for her, but this moment destroyed her whole life. Absalom, seeing how devastated she was, invites her to come live with him. And there every single day, Absalom is trying to encourage Tamar to get over it, to, to, to rise above it. But the Bible says she's sad and she's lonely because of what happened to her. And Absalom looks at this every single day and he sends out pleas to David, his father, and says, Amnon has done this to my sister, your daughter. Do something about it. Plea after plea was sent, not for a week, not for a month, but for years. Over two years, pleas were sent to David. Would you do something? Pleas were sent to his siblings saying, would one of us do something? Talk to dad. Amnon has to be dealt with. He's completely devastated Tamar. He's got to be handled. Someone has got to do something about it. Because David did nothing about it, Absalom's 
heart begin to grow cold. Hatred begin to grow in his heart. He is so upset that David would do nothing about it. He says, I'm not going to stand idly by and allow this to go down. And so he sets up a situation where he's going to invite all of his siblings, all of his brothers, and he's going to invite David. The goal is in this environment, he's going to let the wine flow, let everybody get a little tipsy, and then he's going to take off take out Amnon, and if his brothers and father don't support him, he's gonna take them out as well. Last minute, David cancels. All the brothers are there. Wine starts to flow. Absalom seizes his chance, kills Amnon. As he's about to get to the other brothers, they slip out of a broken plank in the back of the barn and run for their lives. But Amnon is now dead. Amnon has been dealt with. Absalom finally got justice for his sister Tamar, but he knows that he didn't do it with the permission of his father. So he runs for his life, goes into hiding in another country for years. While he's in this other country, he has three boys and he has a daughter. The daughter, the Bible says, he names her Tamar for she was beautiful. What I want you to see is that he named his daughter after the moment that turned the direction of his life. In other words, where a lot of times what you'll find in the Bible is people will name their child because they want to name them about something that they desire to overcome. For example, Joseph named his son Manasseh, which means to forget the pain of my father's house. That's not what is happening in Absalom's life. He's naming his daughter Tamar. So every morning he wakes up and says, hey, Tamar, every time she's out playing and he sends word for her to come inside, hey, Tamar, come inside, it's dinner time. Every time he says his words, he's saying, I remember, I have no regrets. Amnon got what was coming to him. He got what he deserved. I I, I would do it a hundred times over again. And by the way, I'm not finished yet. I'm not done. The vendetta's not yet been fully paid. I still have my eye on my father, David, who did nothing about it. And my brothers who did nothing about it. I'm not finished and I'm not done. And his whole life was defined by this moment. Can you see that it was an event that turned Absalom? It wasn't who he was initially. Something happened that he could not get over in his life. So I got a question, what's your tomorrow today? What's the thing that has happened to you that turns you? The thing that that now we know that not only does he do this, but the Bible says now it drives Absalom to create a gathering, steal the hearts of Israel and pull all the people against his father, David. He tries a coup. He tries to kill David, runs David out of his own kingdom, and he ends up on the throne. Now Absalom is on the throne and watch, this is the first thing he does because he doesn't deal with this thing in his heart. The very first thing he does when he becomes king, he's on the throne, is he goes and grabs 10 of David's favorite women, goes onto a rooftop, a public place, and he does the exact thing to each one of those women that Amnon did to his sister Tamar. In other words, in the end, Absalom became the very thing he despised. He became 10 times worse than the very thing he killed. The very kind of thing he said doesn't deserve to live. That's what Absalom in the end became. You see, Absalom, when he got to the throne, the Bible says strife was all throughout Israel. If you let Absalom on the throne of your heart, strife will be everywhere you go. Strife is where it is, the Bible says, is every other evil work. It's not gonna stop there. If you're not careful, 
that thing will turn you into the very thing you despise. David, interestingly enough, said, hey, there's going to be a battle that's going to ensue. It's going to happen. Absalom's going to want to finish the job. He's not going to be okay with me still being alive. And when that battle comes, he gave orders to all of his mighty men to go gentle on young Absalom. He said, go easy on him. Be careful with him. Do not hurt him. And so the day comes where the battle ensues, Absalom's army against David and his mighty men. And David does begin to overcome Absalom and his army. Absalom is running for his life as he's riding his horse through the woods, being pursued. He rides underneath an oak tree and the branch catches him by his hair and yanks him off of his horse. And he's hanging by this branch, no one around. Eventually, Absalom and his men catch up to where he's at and he's hanging there on this tree. And notice what happens. Joab is there looking at Absalom. And as Joab looks at Absalom, he makes this decision. I've got to do something here. David says, go cautious on him. Be careful with him. And Joab is saying to himself, I was kind with Absalom after he killed Amnon. I understood why he did it. I understood that he was in pain. I was kind with Absalom when he was away in the far country and he wanted to return home. Joab says, I'm the one that actually went to his father, David, and said, you're gonna have to forgive Absalom. You're going to have to let it go. I'm actually the one who got him a house right next to my house. So when he came back to Israel, I could protect him and look out for him. I even forgave him when he burned my field. I even went to David and suggested that he give an audience to his son Absalom and finally reconcile and restore the relationship. Joab all along the way was caring for Absalom, was loving Absalom. But now it gets to the point that Absalom's on the throne and this is where Joab draws the line. He says, this is the point that you can go no further. You cannot be king, Absalom. You cannot be on the throne, Absalom. A lot of mercy can be given to you because of things that happen in your life. But when that thing that, that began as a hurt and a pain starts to cause you to hurt and bring pain in others, you have to be careful because now the abused becomes the abuser. The hurt becomes the one who hurts. The one who's experienced anger actually is the one inflicting that on other people. And this is what is happening in Absalom. He's on the throne and Joab is saying, I'm going to deal with you. So he grabs three javelins from the men that are by him and he puts three javelins in the heart of Absalom, gives instructions for all the other men around him to finish the job and they bury him in a shallow grave in the forest and they put stones over him. To our knowledge, no one has ever visited Absalom's grave. No one's ever be, been there. David's advice was go easy on Absalom, which is terrible advice. You never go easy on something that wants to destroy your dreams. You never go easy on that sin, that flesh, that unforgiveness, that pride, that rebellion. The Bible says the opposite. You make no provision for the flesh. What do you do? You invite the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit, your Joab. 
The Holy Spirit's the one that's saying, hey, listen, right now, that thing's gone from a hurt to having dominion in your life. It's controlling your life. It's controlling your thoughts. It's controlling your emotions. It's controlling your relationships. It's controlling everything. And the Holy Spirit is the one that comes along and can put an arrow in the heart of that thing that's trying to stop you from fulfilling your destiny and leave an honorable legacy. And so Joab said, Absalom has to die. Don't go easy on your Absalom. Notice that Absalom was beaten. Three arrows or spears were put in his heart and he died on a tree. It reminds me of another tree, how they beat Jesus, how they put three nails in him, one in his right hand, one in his left hand and one nail through both of his feet. It reminds me that there he hung and died on a tree. Jesus given us the example of how we handle our flesh, how we deal with anything that's trying to keep us from God's best in our life. You crucify your flesh. Jesus bids us all to come and die as he has. He says, if you're gonna follow me, you pick up your cross and you bear it daily. You die every day to any Amnon, any Absalom, any Tamar that would try to rob you of your destiny. When you lose your life, you find it. When you lay your life down, he'll pick it up. And the only way to deal with Absalom is you have to let the Holy Spirit put an arrow in its heart doesn't belong on the throne of your life. You know, we started this message in closing, talking about this beautiful empty tomb called Absalom's Monument. I wanna remind you there's another empty tomb located in the beautiful garden of Joseph of Arimathea. It was the tomb that Jesus borrowed. The very first tomb speaks to us about a man who lived to make his name great. It was all about Absalom's Monument. He was famous, wanted to be famous in life and remembered in death. He served self, he promoted self. He was harsh in his judgments. He saw the sin in others, never saw the sin in himself. He judged the weakness in others harshly and never judged the weakness in his own heart. He looked at the wrong in others and exaggerated it many times and would deal harshly with them. But he never dealt with those things in his own heart. And here we find a man who showed no compassion, no mercy, no grace, no consideration, and he never makes it to the place that was in his heart early on. He never makes it to this place that he had built for his name to be remembered as a great name. Instead, he ends up in a forest under a pile of stones, completely lost. A lot of people live their life like they're already in a coffin. Only room for me only room for one. What an empty life that is. And if you live empty, can I help you? You'll never die full. Because there's a second tomb that was given to us that has a message. Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. Again, the tomb that Jesus borrowed. He didn't come to make a name for himself. The Bible says he came to glorify the Father. He didn't come to be served. Instead, he came to serve. He came to be a lifter, a lover. He was a broken man, a compassionate man, a humble man. He was a man full of grace and truth. He was never harsh towards sin, never mean-spirited. When he saw sin, his cry was mercy. When he saw weakness in someone, his cry was mercy. When he saw wrong in someone, his cry was mercy. Forgiveness was always on his mind and in his heart and on his lips. He made it to his tomb, but he only borrowed it because there wasn't a stone big enough in all of the universe to keep him in that tomb. You know, a lot of people say, 
I want to serve Jesus. But then they live like they're serving Absalom. They live their whole life allowing one event, one thing, one season, one happening. Should it have happened? No. Do you wish it would have happened? Absolutely not. Is it justifiable that it's affected you in a great way? Absolutely. But you can't let it on the throne of your heart. Absalom is a terrible king. You don't let him on the throne. And so is Absalom trying to find his way to the throne of your life today? If he does, can I help you out? He'll wreck your life. He'll destroy that marriage. He'll destroy that home. He'll ruin that dream. Your future will be obliterated if you let him on the throne of your heart. You, you have no idea what that will do to your legacy. And so you have to make a decision to say, Holy Spirit, if there's anything that's on my heart, whatever the name is, whatever the name is, unforgiveness, bitterness, pride, rebellion, insecurity, whatever it is, self, if it's on the throne, Holy Spirit, would you help me make sure that the only one that's on the throne of my heart is the one that deserves to be there and his name is Jesus and nothing else should rule and reign in my life. Does God understand our pain? Yes. Does God understand that we hurt? Absolutely. Does God understand when we've been affected by things that have happened to us? Absolutely. But does he understand when it gets on the throne of your heart and it rules and it reigns? He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand. He wants the throne of your heart. And if you'll give him that throne, if you'll say, Jesus, I want you to be on the throne of my heart, you'd be blown away how no matter what the devil throws at you, no matter what life throws at you, it'll never define you. One thing will define you. And that's he has made a decision that you belong to him. And he ultimately, the Bible says, is in control of your destiny.